Welcome to the Powercast with Charlie Johnson. I'm one of the world's leading fitness and transformation coaches. I'm going to be providing you with the tools to build your ultimate body and mind. So latest episode of the Powercast, absolute pleasure to have uh, expert of the diabetic fitness industry, Phil Graham, on the podcast. Also a huge author, speaker and fitness entrepreneur. So absolute pleasure to have you on. Charlie, thank you very much for taking the time to interview me. I've got some really useful nuggets to share with your audience. So for anyone who isn't aware of who you are, Phil, what is it you currently do? A little bit about your background? Okay, I've got a, a bit of a story and I'll, I'll go off on a tangent here, but it's really important that you get the context of this first uh, before you listen to all the diabetes stuff and muscle building and nutrition stuff that I'm going to share with you guys. So it goes back to when I was 16 years of age. I was a prime example of somebody who didn't exercise, didn't look after their health, uh, was very complacent. Uh, was just the whole health side of things. And long story short, when I was 16, I was going to uh, grammar school and we used to travel in every morning on the bus. We used to, uh, my mom used to drop us off. We used to go in and we all used to go and grab uh, with a bunch of mates uh, a breakfast. And uh, this breakfast was like tea, pancakes, bacon, all like, the good stuff. The fun stuff. And, yeah. You know, it was like a proper full on fry, right? I don't know if the audience here is familiar with uh, an English breakfast or an Irish breakfast, but long story short, it's a very tasty, uh, it's a very tasty meal. And long story short, anyway, um, we went in one day and I realized on the way in that my eyesight was a little bit blurry. And I noticed that I couldn't read car number plates. Now, you're probably going to be asking yourself, what on earth has this got to do with what I'm going to be talking about today? Well, that was the first sign that I began to realize that something wasn't quite right because I normally had very good vision. And long story short, it went on for a couple of weeks and that then led into rapid weight loss. It also led into going to the toilet a lot. I mean, literally five times within class period. It was ridiculous. And then I kept drinking more and more Fanta Orange to rehydrate myself. Literally, was pouring sugar, calories, everything into my body and just urinating it out. So I began to feel a little bit funny. I said to my mom about it. She says, oh, it must be a cold, a virus, whatever. And long story short, I kept saying it for another couple of weeks. And then we booked an appointment in the GPs. And long story short, uh, I got diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, saw my mom crying, didn't know what diabetes was, but put two and two together and went, I'm fucked. And long story short, I remember being marched down this hallway to this like really clinical room. If you've ever been in a hospital, you know like it's just like everything's clinical. It's just like like gray doors or dark green olive doors and everything's just like mundane. Impressive. And I remember uh, sitting with the GP, the specialist, talking about this diabetes. You've just been diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, blah, blah, blah. There's a label put on me already. But I remember her language. Her language was speculative. It was like you might, possibly, may, potentially, in relation to all these side effects. And on the wall, I was like seeing like 500% increase in cardiovascular disease, uh, amputation, blah, blah, blah. And I remember hearing nutrition, exercise, physical activity, lifestyle, mindset, medication. Those were the areas that were going to help me. So from that moment onward, I literally changed my ways. And it's a very important learning lesson about life. In order to change your ways, you have to have chaos. In order to change your ways, you have to have humility. And I went and studied these areas. I went to went on to read as many books as I could, went on to study university. I went to 
I studied clinical nutrition for six years, um, did post-grad stuff, went on to study sports nutrition. I wanted to equip myself with all the physiology, all the understanding of how the body works so that I could control my own. And at the same time, I fell in love with exercise and then eventually fell in love with bodybuilding. Um, from a very young age, I competed all over the world. Uh, I, I won and competed in various competitions from right from Mr. Ireland, uh, Junior Mr. Britain, Junior Mr. World, Junior Mr. Universe. Um, got sponsorships. And long story short, I was able to fulfill those uh, competitions with the knowledge that I had. I was always told that you're never going to be able to step on stage. You're never going to be able to get lean enough. You're not going to be able to go zero carb. You're not going to be able to do this. You're not going to be able to do that. And I studied the physiology. Like I was like a plate geek when it came to physiology and everything. I knew exactly what my body was doing at a particular time of day, how to adjust my medication. And the way I saw it was bodybuilding was my accountability. Bodybuilding was the thing that kept my health. And I was building a kick-ass physique with it. Right? So... My dream was to become a clinical dietitian. That's what I really wanted to do with my life. I wanted to be a clinical dietitian. I wanted to help people. But as I grew my career, I began to realize my bodybuilding career, people started to ask me, can you put a diet together? Can you help me with this? Can you help me with that? And I began to realize that I was getting paid more to help people by just simply giving them advice that I had studied. So long story short, I created my own business and really went into massive depth um, I set up a very successful personal training business, became probably the most sought-after trainer in Ireland, never advertised once. This was all at a very young age. I started the whole online coaching thing pretty much before Facebook or anything like that was out. I think it was Bebo back then. On Bebo, you were running online coaching? Yeah. I uh, created my own little booklets and everything. You walked into a gym in Northern Ireland or Ireland, you saw my, like, literally my, my like, clear-cut health and fitness with my brand. You saw these, like, like A4, like 30-page documents, like lying on the gym floor, and personal trainers were like copying them and selling them on and buying them. And Anyway, I created a business out of all the information that I'd learned to help me manage my diabetes. And long story short, I, like I, around my career, I then had a lot of personal trainers coming to learn how to do nutrition and training and business. And then I remember speaking at an event, I think it was a good five, six years ago. I always used to, I was heavily involved in education and writing and speaking for the fitness industry from a very, very young age, whilst I was even bodybuilding. Um, and that was purely from the knowledge that I had acquired from the nutrition and the, the, the commitment to understanding physiology and stuff like that. And I remember I came off stage one year, I think it was at Body Power, and there was like a, there's always a queue of people looking to ask questions. And there was a queue of like five people back to back or something like that, males, females, uh, kids with parents, um, wanting to know about diabetes. And somebody said to me, Phil, you've got to do something for diabetes. And the first, the penny dropped and I went, you know what, I've got all this information and I'm not sharing it. And I feel it's my duty to create a community, a product, a service that gives people all this information to be able to achieve something with their life. So I wrote the Diabetic Muscle and Fitness Guide, which has sold close to 40,000 copies now. I created a membership community for individuals that really wanted to understand the ins and outs of nutrition and building muscle with diabetes. My audience was basically the younger version of me or the older version of me, simply people that felt lost with diabetes and wanted to build muscle 
and lose body fat and get in great shape but didn't know what to do. And that's what we're going to talk about today because there are a lot of misconceptions about building a body with diabetes. And, you know, that's something that I'll lead into is like, first of all, looking at what the diabetes actually is and, you know, realizing that it's a condition characterized by high blood glucose and it's, it's a problem of blood glucose management in the body. And, you know, one of the famous Greek physicians, uh, Kapakadua, basically described diabetes as intense thirst and melting down of the flesh and limbs into urine. So it's basically characterized by high blood glucose. Normal blood glucose levels are around about between 3.9 and 5.5 millimoles per liter, um, or 70 to 100 milligrams per deciliter if you're American. And diabetes results as a result of the pancreas, it's an organ in the body not producing enough insulin, or the cells in the body not responding to the insulin produced. And if you don't know what insulin is, insulin is a, an anabolic hormone, so it's involved in growth and storage, that's uh, produced in what we call the beta cells of the pancreas. And it helps organize and store fuels within the body. And it has a profound effect on metabolism, that is the organization of carbohydrates, fats, proteins, and minerals. Okay? Now, if you're not producing enough insulin, you can't metabolize and organize these building blocks of life, building blocks of energy and stuff like that. And what happens is the blood glucose goes from like ribena to ketchup or jam. So you imagine proper blood glucose is like ribena going through your veins or diabetes, poorly managed diabetes where the sugar can't leave the blood is like jam going through it. So think about all the little tiny capillaries, all the little tiny vessels where this thick sludge is going through. And if you understand physiology, you'll know that like sugar and fat and amino acids are all combined in these, these like, you know, these fluids, the blood, and it just scars the inside of the cardiovascular system, creating these like, you know, like lacerations where plaque builds up. And that's why you see cardiovascular problems being such a, you know, a problem. And then that's exacerbated by stress, lifestyle, smoking, everything else. So you've got a baseline level of stress there in the body that's chronic. And if you do not control diabetes, you've got issues with all the small stuff. So like retinopathy of the eyes, cardiovascular disease, kidney disease, nerve damage, pregnancy complications, problems with the foot and the extremities because that's where um, you know, a lot of the blood is going to. Loss of muscle tissue. If you don't control your diabetes, you're going to lose muscle mass. You can't feed the muscle tissue. And you know, diabetes is diagnosed in a number of different ways. How do you know somebody has it? Well, there are you know, side effects. Uh, you know, for example, uh, you know, urination, extreme weight loss, blurry vision, getting checked up on those things. And we have a number of different tests. One of the most popular would be uh, HbA1 uh, blood test, which looks at average blood glucose levels over six months. And realistically, any reading that's over 6.5% is typically classified as diabetes. Now, there are three types. There's type 1, which is an autoimmune condition. Then there's type 2, which is lifestyle-related, and there's gestational. Okay, so I mean, I can go through the different types just concisely. I mean, type one is basically where you've got an autoimmune condition where the body begins to attack its own cells and it attacks the cells of the pancreas and ultimately hinders the production of insulin. And there's proposed environmental factors, genetic factors, and stuff in there, and it can result in people being very, very underweight, thin, okay, a lot of muscle loss. It can also be associated with fat gain because. Medication is required to manage it. That medication is insulin. And when you administer insulin, 
you have the potential to drop blood glucose down into low levels, hypoglycemia, which can cause individuals to eat. You've then got type 2 diabetes, okay? And, you know, big, big thing you've got to realize here is that's brought on by lack of sleep, high stress, poor nutrition, fat, uh, fat obesity, um, particular exposure to certain chemicals. And again, there's genetic elements to and environmental factors. You know, a lot of people think that nutrition is just to blame for too much fat, uh, too many carbs, you know, GMOs, blah, blah, blah. But realistically, you know, you have to look at a lot of other genetic factors in, 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 that are involved there and family history and stuff like that as well. Gestational is quite popular. That's usually what happens during pregnancy as a result of, again, lifestyle, environment, obesity, and also some of the hormone changes that occur during pregnancy. Okay, um, you know, diabetes is prevalent all over the world, okay, um, from economically developed countries right through to non-economically developed countries. China, India, and USA are the top three, and it's a huge cost to healthcare. Things like something like, um, oh, flip, like, as well, and like, like billions um, worldwide. Um, Do you think that's a genetic predisposition in those countries, or just a... Again, it's going to be a combination of both. You have to bear in mind that the majority of diabetes is type 2. Type 1 is the least. So a lot of lifestyle factors are, are triggering that, okay? Um, excess obesity and stuff like that. So, I mean, for you guys that are listening that are not diabetic, it's a reason for you to look after your health and stay as lean as possible, stay active, um, manage your calorie intake, because let's face it, Obesity and fat gain is caused by lack of activity, excess calorie consumption, um, and lack of exercise, right? So when it comes to managing diabetes, I mean, there's a number of areas of focus. Glucose monitoring, so looking at your blood glucose level, and you know that has changed and adapted so much now where you can get a patch in your arm that gives you a 24-hour reading, or you can prick your finger. I personally still prick my finger. I know my body inside out. I've been recording my data for years. Um, but most people like to have a, a, what we call a CGM, a continuous blood glucose monitor um, that attracts, or sorry, that uh, measures blood glucose level. You've got medication with type 1, you're using direct insulin, injectable insulin, you use a basal and a bolus. The basal is a background insulin um, that helps accommodate the glucose that is, I'm not going to go into the deep physiology, but you need a background insulin to accommodate the glucose that is released from your liver in relation to stress. So we get stressed throughout the day. When we wake up in the morning, when a car comes out in front of us, we have what we call a fight or flight response. And as a result of that, there's a lot of stress hormones, adrenaline, corticotropin. All these hormones are designed to elicit an energy pulse. And they break down glycogen that's stored in the liver and release it into the bloodstream for fuel. But if you've got diabetes, you can't recirculate that. So that's why we have a, a background insulin. Then we use a bolus insulin for food. And again, there are people that use pumps and a combination of different insulin therapies, which I'm not going to get into. Type 2 diabetes is more medication, tablets that increase the sensitivity of the body uh, to insulin and allow it to make better use of it as well. Okay, and there's a number of factors that affect blood glucose levels, stress, illness, infection, the food that you eat, the exercise, physical activity, other medications, stimulants, you name it. Okay, um, so I mean, that's a general background of it. Um, more than happy to, to help with any questions or anything that you have um, on that um, or some common implications or whatever. In terms of um, 
managing obviously type one or type two diabetes in terms of structuring people's diets, whether it be for fat loss or for muscle building, is there any tips or like nuggets of information you take away, suggestions to help people with that? Spreading carbs throughout the day or? Okay, really, really simple for that. If you want to maximize muscle building as a diabetic, you must be obsessed with keeping your blood glucose levels tight within range. If they're outside of range, as in hyperglycemia, too much glucose in the blood, you will become dehydrated, you will uh, break muscle tissue down, you'll accelerate the breakdown of amino acids in a catabolic fashion, um, which will hinder your ability to build muscle. Um, if you are uh, taking too much insulin and you overdo it, what you're going to do then is you're going to then increase the potential to eat calories. So, for example, you could be dieting and taking everything, you know, really, really strictly and accidentally inject too much insulin. Now, if you inject too much insulin, then you're going to have to eat. So, if I went up to you, Charlie, and I got an insulin pen and I put it into your shoulder, you're going to need to eat pretty soon, right? Yeah. Now, you if you had all your calories accounted for and you were, you know, right on the bread line between losing weight and gaining weight, if I give you insulin, what are you going to have to do? You're going to have to eat. Now, when we look at most environmental factors, environment has a huge influence on uh, eating behavior. So if you go into the average household that's not motivated about exercise, not motivated about nutrition, and somebody's taking a high of what? is normally in the fridge. What's normally in the cupboard, Charlie? Chocolate cake. Yeah. Chocolate, sugar, junk food. Yeah. So, you know, think about lack of education. Think about survival. So if I'm in the house and I'm not educated on calorie consumption, I've got diabetes and I'm taking a low, and I see, for example, a chocolate cake in the fridge, what is the potential for me to completely... Yeah, you're going to annihilate the entire cake, aren't you? Right. So a really useful strategy is to have things like Lucozade in the fridge. I could bring my blood glucose back quicker with Lucozade and consume less calories. Why? Low fat content. It's liquid and it's, it's fast, right? So what you tend to find is with things like chocolate cake, yeah, it'll bring your blood glucose back, but it'll take a little bit longer. And before it hits you, you'll have already consumed what? Majority of the cake. Yeah, it's very true. So making sure that your environment is set up for that, making sure that you're aware of like what is the quickest way to get glucose up. Health and health professionals always used to say have a Mars bar, right? Now you tell me what's going to bring my glucose up quicker: a tin of Fanta, a tin of Coke, or a Mars bar? See, that logically frustrates me so much that you hear professionals say that sort of thing. Because like anyone, yeah, any said. It's one of those things that, you know, most people that go into a diabetes clinic, Charlie, are not interested in building a physique. No. So, you know, it's coming from a general context, and this is very important to understand when it comes to health and BMI and stuff like that. You know, a lot of fitness professionals, not BMI, but again, when we, you know, last time we were in a hospital, dude, how many jacked up bodybuilders you seen in there? Yeah, very true. It's, it's based on average, like demographic, you know, data. You know, so it allows them to make conclusions from a pool of people. So 
you know, there's elements like that, making sure that you've got some fast digestible carbohydrate to accommodate hypoglycemia, um, making sure that your blood glucose levels are correct when you go into exercise, understanding that your blood glucose level will go up when you weight train. Big, big differentiation between high-intensity exercise, weight training hit, versus low-intensity exercise. What is that differentiation? Well, low-intensity exercise tends to drop blood glucose levels. High-intensity exercise tends to increase blood glucose levels. Why? Because the stress that's involved with heavy lifting releases adrenaline, corticotropin, etc., that drives glucose through the roof. So if you do not have insulin, what will happen is you'll go into weight training and you will come out with a high blood glucose. If you go to do cardio, you'll finish with a low blood glucose. So that's probably going to result that there's diabetics listening to this and a lot of people messaging me going, I've never realized that before. But knowing that you have to correct and accommodate the body's natural increase in blood glucose with insulin with a bolus dose um, from a type 1 perspective when you go to exercise is important. And you learn how to do all these things by understanding the condition. That's why I wrote my book. That's why I installed all those principles. And those are the kinds of things that you will not hear healthcare professionals talk about because they're not interested really in whether you've got, you know, 17-inch or 21-inch biceps, right? They they don't care about, you know, getting as lean as possible, right? So, yeah, some useful stuff there. In terms of timing of food, if you're going to be, say, for example, doing a weight training session, what, how would you look to set that up? And would you, is there any issues, say, for example, with anyone training, like, say, fast or doing fasted cardio in a diabetic setting? Well, I mean, that's largely open to overall context of general control. But when it comes to, you know, generally speaking, I mean, you want to be going in and training around about an hour and a half to two hours after a meal when blood glucose levels are rock steady and there is minimal insulin floating about so that you can see how that weight training session is affecting blood glucose levels and you've got no factors that are interfering with increasing it. So if you just had a meal and then you went into weight training, you've got not only the food, the glucose from the food, the gluconeogenesis from the protein driving glucose up. You've also got the stress of the weight training driving glucose up. (laughs) So I want you to understand that you want to minimize the factors there. I train fast at first thing in the morning when my blood glucose is completely rock solid and I've had no food or variables that are interfering with it. Um, again, how quickly you have a protein shake or you know a meal after your training is large in part dependent upon your overall nutrition, not just isolated elements. Back in your uh, bodybuilding career and bodybuilding days, were you training fast then first thing in the morning or? Was it late in the day? I did cardio faster in the morning. I trained weight training um, with more fuel in my body purely because I wanted to create a stimulus. I didn't use the weight training session as a stimulus for fat loss. That was a stimulus for uh, muscle growth and adaptation. Um, Cardio was utilized as a a calorie expenditure tool. Um, So it was a different context. Is there anything you think people should be aware of in, say, like a dieting phase to like taking their carbohydrates too low or their calories low when trying to manage diabetes? I imagine that can erase a few problems. Yeah, a couple of things. You do not need to completely eliminate carbohydrates in your diet. That's a big myth in diabetes. If you're weight training, you need carbohydrates to help facilitate your quality workout, in my opinion. I don't know, Charlie, if you've ever tried to diet low carb and had to get a great pump. It's It's not nice, right? So, you know, 
learning that carbohydrate is okay from a diabetes perspective, learning that as you get leaner and as your activity increases, as you get leaner, is going to result in more sensitivity of the insulin that you're using um, and everything else, right? Um, so, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, you've got to understand that as you get leaner, the likelihood for hypos is going to increase. You've got to cut food down. You've got to manipulate insulin. Like the biggest thing that I could give people is track the data, do it the first time, make mistakes, monitor, tweak, and evaluate, monitor, tweak, and evaluate, and always ask, always ask, what do I need to do better, et cetera, et cetera. That's, that's some real great knowledge there. Um, going on to a slightly different ta- tangent, and it's something else people struggle with in terms of uh, managing diabetes is in terms of alcohol and managing a blood glucose around that cause a few issues. Have you come across that a lot in the past or have you anything ways you find to try and control that? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, alcohol, depending on the type of drink, will reduce blood glucose levels. And, you know, if you're diabetic and you're going to drink heavily and you take a low, how do you differentiate between a low and drunk? That's an issue. So you got to let people know that you are diabetic. You got to let them know that there's potential that you could collapse you, and to check blood glucose level first. So again, being mindful if you're going out to drink and making sure that you're bringing appropriate carbohydrate. Like I like, you know, you can't really bring a tin of coke with you everywhere. So like, I would bring just a packet of Mentos. I mean, they're they're easily stored. They're glucose, you know, or glucose tabs or something like that. Is that sort of thing you would take out with you then, just in case you ever had any issues? Not really now, Charlie, because I know my diabetes, but there's always the time where I take a low, sometimes where I mistime something, I've been caught in traffic, I've maybe dropped a meal, or a place has been closed. Yeah. Now, uh, just sort of to round things up a little bit, I don't want to keep it too long. In terms of food choices with uh, diabetes, in terms of carbohydrates, is there anything you particularly would recommend or stay away from? Realistically, you can have any carbohydrate you want. You just need to know how to manage it and incorporate it into your overall calorie intake. Um, however, when you first start diabetes, you're trying to gather your control. Taking foods that are higher glycemic is going to be harder to manage because the volatilities in sugar and release rates of those foods into the bloodstream are technically faster. So, speed kills. So again, making sure that, you know, generally speaking, that your diet is comprised of good solid five fruit and vegetables a day, like a good solid amount of animal protein and good quality carbohydrates from oats, sweet potato, rice, and there's periods throughout your day where you don't have carbohydrates. And that all boils down to activity levels, personal preference, how this food makes you feel, the taste, but try and like keep color in your diet, keep protein in your diet from various sources, uh, choose the foods that you like, try to go for colorful stuff that's nutrient-dense, keep water in there, keep your blood glucose balanced, don't be afraid to fast every now and again if you're not hungry and eat larger meals. Um, it, it takes a time to adapt to somebody's personal schedule. After um, would you ever try adding certain fats to any sort of meals to try and slow the absorption? If you found, say, for example, like, for example, you were going to go and train and you were going to have a, some form of rice with a, a protein source. You've got a fat source to kind of slow the, the absorption of that slightly. Uh, you could, you know, you could add in like a whole egg or two, or you could have a fatty cut of red meat or salmon. Um, you know, it, it, Charlie, in all honesty, it's a matter of what you eat across the whole day 
and your average blood glucose control across the whole day that matters the most. And once you've got that overall picture, you can then distill it down into the smaller isolated meals. And trying to think from an isolated meal perspective first is micromanagement, and that's just going to cause stress. You want to look at collectively what you do on average. So don't worry too much about the minutia, more about the overall. Yeah, worry about the overall calorie intake, overall blood glucose control over the day, worry about sustainability, worry about average blood glucose levels. What time is my training at? And then focus from there. That's fascinating because that's, that's the big issue. I think I not issue challenge I see with a lot of clients. They worry too much to say in a general fat loss or muscle gain phase about the minutiae rather than the consistency. Yeah, like, you know, uh, if, if there's anybody listening to this right now that wants one golden piece of information, it's never focus on one meal as being your most important aspect of your nutrition protocol. The meal that you eat before training is most likely not being digested until around about four or six hours after your training. The steak that you had last night is probably still digesting your digestive tract. So you need to look at what you're eating overall over cumulative periods of time, like days, weeks, summarizing that data in conjunction with body composition changes, either data-driven, weight, um, calipers if you're using them, or the mirror, right? Keep it simple, stupid. Do I look leaner from one week to the next? No. Did I cheat on my diet? Yes. Retest. Do I look leaner? Yes. Did my weight drop? Yes. Keep going. You know, <laughs> simplicity is key, right? You know, when you find that, and this is a principle in life, when you find that you've got people that don't know enough about a subject, they tend to overcomplicate it and overanalyze it. So, the, like the, the saying, you know, the more experience you get, the more simpler it is, right? You know, and, uh, you know, everybody here wants to look better. Some people need to be a specific weight, and I get that. But, like, principles applied often with a solid assessment system is all that is needed. Yeah, I love that. It's a saying I absolutely love, and I think it, like goes by pretty much everything in life that's complexity is the enemy of execution like people overcomplicate stuff to the point where they can't actually follow through with whatever the plan is whether that be business or fitness or yeah but it's 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 it's, it's, it's easy to complicate things charlie because if you don't know what you're doing then you're looking for you're looking for you know that one hit wonder you know of you know what, what is the one secret thing that i need to do and like i see it in business all the time guys the boring stuff is the most important stuff. Sleep, making sure that you're lifting heavier from workout to workout, making sure that you're resting, making sure that you know your calorie consumption is tracked, making sure that you've got a coach, making sure that you're assessing, making sure that you're changing when things don't work. Right? You know, that's the kind of stuff that you need to be focused on. Keep it simple. Oh, I love that. One final question, so you sort of um, touched upon it. it was in terms of uh, improving insulin sensitivity, have you got any strategies in terms of that? I know you briefly mentioned fasting. Is that something you, you used to implement or still do occasionally? Or? In all honesty, try and stay as lean as possible and implement uh, periods of intermittent fasting. Um, avoid as much stress as possible, and that's pretty much it. In terms of the fasting window, what would you look at? 12 to 16 hours, longer, 24 hours? I personally fast around about, yeah, about 8 to 16 hours. Um, you know, again, I find that that, again, just keeps me, helps keep me lean, you know, right through to, you know, like I'm not having 
a ton of insulin in my body with blood glucose levels that are all over the place, what you tend to find is the more insulin that you take, especially in relation to higher calorie consumption or, um, you know, uh, foods that are, you know, quite high glycemic, you tend to find more insulin actually creates more insulin resistance. So again, giving your body a break and stuff like that. That's why intermittent fasting is so useful in controlling type 2 diabetes because it reduces the workload on the pancreas. Big, big problem with type 1 diabetes is overweight, genetics, drugs, smoking, stress, obesity, and the body is constantly pumping out constantly pumping out insulin and in many ways it loses its effectiveness because there's just simply so much stuff Over, oversaturated basically yeah it's just everything's just going crazy right cool well that's an absolute pleasure um that's we provide tons of useful take-home information so how can anyone um find out about yourself obviously in terms of the diabetes uh, side of things you do with business and also your business yeah, really simple, guys just go to diabeticmuscleandfitness.com if you're, if you're diabetic or you know somebody with diabetes, and the book's there, the membership site's there. If you know somebody with diabetes who wants to build a physique, that is probably the best thing that you can get them involved with. So um, that's it. And then my, my general website is phil-graham.com. I don't do any uh, personal training or coaching or anything like that. I just strictly work with fitness business owners. Uh, that's all I do. Um, but yeah, more than happy to help if you need me. Awesome. Absolute pleasure to have you on the uh, podcast today. Thank you so much, George. That's huge amounts of value to so many people. Thank you very much for taking the time to record it, Charlie. I know how much time these things take, so <laughs> I'll bring that to your audience as well. Awesome. Thanks very much. Pleasure, bud. Thanks, bud.